I'd like to uh, introduce Marion C. Hi, my name is Marion C., and I'm a grateful member of Alana. Um, this is really an awesome task tonight because a lot of you are not familiar with the Al-Anon program or may have not had the experience of knowing what Al-Anon can do to help us recover from the effects of alcohol. I also want to give a warning. Um, I have yet to speak without crying. I think that comes from my childhood where I was not allowed to cry. It was not something that was done in our household. Um, God has freed that through the help of this program. Um, my story tonight, I'm supposed to share my experience, my strength, and my hope that comes through this program. I'm really grateful that uh, Lois saw that her life had to be different as Bill's life was becoming different. Because that helped me to have a program so that my life could become different after the effects of alcohol. My bottom, I say, is November 23, 1993. Um, reality hit me in the face in the middle of my driveway of my home in Troy, Illinois. It was the night before Thanksgiving. It was supposed to be a real happy time. Especially since I was on my way to a prayer service for the entire community. So I've grown up in a religious household. Al-Anon has given me a spiritual household. But during that evening, I was preparing the kids and we were getting ready to go. I was going to be singing a solo at, at the service that I had worked very hard to get prepared for the entire community. All of the churches in the entire community had come together for their first opportunity of an ecumenical Thanksgiving service. I'd spent months working on this. My family knew that I'd invested a lot of time and energy into this. But my husband didn't come home from work. Now, I had no idea why my husband didn't come home from work because I'd gotten rid of alcohol in our house many years ago, I thought, through controlling. What I discovered as we were getting ready to leave anyway was that alcohol was back full force. My husband pulled into the driveway, not very straight, very angry, because if he got angry, then I wouldn't say anything. I'd repel and hide. But this important night was there. And I had expected him to be there for me. I got in the car anyway and left in the morning fumbling to get into the house as he's yelling at me that I damn well better wait because he'll only be another minute. There was no way that I was going to let him take this night from me. The kids are crying in the back seat. And I'm telling them everything's going to be okay. My world was falling apart, but everything's going to be okay because nobody can know that it's not. I said a prayer in the parking lot of the community center where we'd all gathered. And I was running late. 
fixed my makeup in the rearview mirror so that everything looked okay, but inside I was tired. I said a short prayer, the most important prayer I'd ever said in my life. I said, God, I can't do it. I can't do it. And as plain as day, I heard a voice say, I can't. And I went into that sentence, and I was fine. I don't know how I was fine, but I was fine. This peace had come over me, that I knew that everything was going to be okay. I got up to sing after they'd had the first scripture reading, so it was my turn. And providentially, the song that I was singing was based on the 23rd song. But they were modern words, and it was, Shepherd me, O God, beyond my wants, beyond my fears, from death into life. When I finished singing that song, I sat down, and one of the people from my church behind me, who heard me sing hundreds of times, said, I've never heard you sing like that. That was not me singing, because I surrendered that night already in the parking lot, and I couldn't do it, but God has told me I can. In the parking lot after the service, I'm wondering what to do and where to go, because I don't want to go home and face what I know is waiting. I know it's not safe for me. It's not safe for my kids. But where do I go? This woman I know from church only a little bit knocks on my window and asks me, what's the matter? I was looking fine. I hadn't started crying yet. I was still wearing that mask that everything was okay. Why did she knock on my window? At that time, I, I lost it. I lost all control and said, I can't go home. I have nowhere to go. I don't know what's happening. And this woman took me to her home the night before Thanksgiving with three little kids and a husky. She took me into her home and she treated us like family. And my alcoholic was not happy about this. Um, as you all know, when alcoholics aren't happy, they get a little bizarre. Um, there were the random phone calls. There was the, if you come back, I'll forgive you. There was, if you don't come back, I'll kill myself. There's, if you don't come back, you'll be sorry. There's getting out to your car and finding four flat tires on a snowy day. But somehow I knew I was going to be okay. What happened that night was the first of the miracles that I was willing to recognize in my life. Because God already knew the bottom was going to fall out of my life that evening. And he had already put into place what was going to happen to me. You see, that very afternoon, that woman who knocked on my window She'd been at a community.
Community Health Care Center visiting one of her friends when she saw a neighbor of ours dropping off Alamon literature at this health center. Now, my friend didn't know anything about Alamon, but she got in a short conversation with our mutual neighbor about what this literature was and what it was for. So that night, when I'm sitting in her bedroom, crying, saying, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do, and I finally got out the fact that I think my husband's an alcoholic. She said, I think I know what to do. And she got on the phone and she called Patty. Now, Patty had just started doing service work and didn't know what to do, but she knew she had a trunk full of literature. Okay. And she knew she had a phone list. And so that night, about one in the morning, before everybody had to cook Thanksgiving dinner the next day, I had three Al-Anon women in that bedroom doing for me what only they could do. They were sharing their experience and their strength and their hope. They were talking to me about the fact that alcohol does not have to destroy my life, that I have choices, that they will love me through this, that it will be okay. And they did. And the next day at Thanksgiving, I said, what do I do? And my friend says, call Patty. And I call Patty, and she says, what do you want to do? And I said, I don't know. And that's my first opportunity to make Al-Anon choices. She says, well, what do you think you could do? I said, well, I'm supposed to go to Thanksgiving dinner with some friends of ours, but Bob's supposed to be there with us. And she said, does that feel like something you can do? And I said, yeah, these are really good friends. I think I should do that. I think I need to be with them. So I went, I went with the three kids without my husband, taking the pies that I had baked for this Thanksgiving dinner over to another friend's house who prayed with me and told me things were going to be okay and that they would love me through it. And they did, and they still do. So I started going to al meetings and learning why these people could be smiling and laughing and caring about somebody who was falling apart but somehow knew that everything was going to be okay. And I went to a meeting, and then I went to another meeting, and I felt better, so I went to another meeting. And anywhere I could get a ride to another meeting, I went because it felt better. And I didn't know why. It just felt better. I was at a meeting about the second week after Thanksgiving, and it was somebody's birthday. And she stood up to tell a little bit about her story. And that was the first time I knew why it worked. Because that girl stood up and told my life. And she was smiling and she was laughing about it. And I said, oh my God, how does she know about me? But she wasn't talking about me. She was talking about her experience, her strength, and her hope in the program. 
Well, in the meantime, my husband's phone calls had stopped being quite so strange and being a little more panicky. And he decided that he needed to go into treatment, that maybe he had a problem. And it was at that first meeting in the treatment center where I realized my life did not fall apart on November 23, 1993. It had started unraveling before that when I had tried to control the drinking and it had become hidden. Because we've done a lot of drinking. As a matter of fact, one of the treasures that I still have at home, something my husband and I found in a box when we were cleaning my mother's attic as she was getting sick. There was a card that he'd given to me after we'd been dating about a year. And in that card he was suggesting that maybe we shouldn't be getting so serious because he thought I had a problem with alcohol. You see, we were heavy drinkers back then. He and I, both. Matter of fact, anybody know November 17th? November 17th is National Tequila Day. I have a trophy. And I was the only female in the contest. And I won. And I drove home. And I don't know how. But that's another one of those miracles. That's the grace of God. But somehow when he said that in the car, and our favorite place to go was a bar across the street from the prison, um, it, should, it should have been a sign. But it wasn't. We both drank, and we both drank a lot, and that was our circle of friends, and that's what we did. But it reached a point in our life and in our marriage and in our development, and we had kids, when I said, this is what I want my family to do, because this is what my family did, and that's not who I want to be. You see, it was unraveling even before. While I was working my program, I started to see some of the things that I thought were normal growing up that weren't normal. Kids shouldn't have to sit in the closet to feel safe. But I did that. And here I was watching my own children sit in the closet to feel safe. It was wrong. So I stopped drinking. And I thank God that I hadn't crossed whatever line that was into alcoholism because it's rampant in my side of the family too. And I don't know why. I just accept that it is. And I was able to stop. But my husband wasn't, and it didn't make me happy. And when I wasn't happy, nobody was happy. See, I've learned lessons of controlling very well. The page in our Alamon book, it is my page. It is the page that the Lord got me. The one I both opens up to automatically. And anybody at Alamon knows this page. It says, once upon a time, there was an enormous son belonging to a woman with an alcoholic husband and three teenage children. And that page talks about how the son thought if she pressed hard enough, she could control what everyone was thinking and doing. And so that's who I was. And so I said, we will not have alcohol in our house anymore. And our son will not revolve around drinking. And my husband, being the good husband that he wanted to be, said, yes, dear. But being the alcoholic that he was, his yes, dear, was not in his control. 
He wanted to. I know that now. But it was not within his power because the first drink always led to the next drink. Because that's how alcoholism is. So it was my fault that alcohol became the hidden disease in our house. And my program helped me accept that. So while I'm thinking there's no drinking in our house, I'm thinking we're just going insane. <laughs> and my husband, being the good husband he is, has me convinced that everyone else is fine. <laughs> so I start seeking professional help <laughs> because it has to be me. Because there is no alcohol in our house, and alcohol is the only thing that I know that makes families crazy. And if I've taken care of the alcohol in our house, and we're still crazy, it has to be me. You know, if my husband's not drinking, and he's really tired, and has fallen asleep on the deck, and the neighbors hear me yelling at this man, who's crazy? Who's sleeping? I'm nuts. So it has to be me. I have to be crazy. But what I discovered is that my controlling had just hidden what we might have fixed before then. But I guess that wasn't part of God's plan. So we discovered that alcohol was there. It was the problem. And I found this program. So the first thing is I have to be open to those steps. And the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and the steps of Al-Anon are so similar. The focus is the same. Alcohol is the enemy. What can we do to take care of ourselves with this cunning, baffling, and powerful enemy? So I had to first of all realize that I was powerless over alcohol in my home. And if my husband was going to drink, my husband was going to drink. And that it was his decision. And if my kids were going to misbehave, and if they were going to choose to do wrong, it was out of my control. I can only set boundaries that protect me, because the only thing I can really control is me, with the help of my higher power. I keep going back to step one. I do it almost every day. Something in my life is thrown in my path to prove once again that I am powerless. It's not just alcohol, just powerless. But I have taken step two, and I came to believe that there is a power greater than myself. I call that power God, who can and will take care of me. Taking step two with my sponsor was kind of really invigorating for me, because I found out that that power not only could, but had been taking care of my life. You know, when I was sitting in the closet, my higher power probably suggested that would be a good place to be. When I was attacked at 17 and sexually assaulted, I wasn't killed. And I grew stronger from that experience. And that was probably my heart out being there with me for me. 
He has a plan for my life. And I have to let me live His plan. I have a God now. It's not me. And some days this is really hard, but it's not my husband either. It's not my children. It's not even my boss. I can do things for those people, but I answer to my God. So I turn my will and my life over because he's got the big picture. I'm one thread in the tapestry that he's weaving. Some days I'm a very plain gray thread. Some days I'm a very vibrant red thread. But I'm only one thread. So about that time, after doing the three-step program, it's time to look at the fourth step. The fourth and fifth step. When I reached out and grabbed the hold of those steps after numerous false starts, because my number one enemy right behind alcohol, maybe even ahead of it some days, was fear. Yeah, I've grown up, as I said, in a house where you couldn't cry, where people told you how you felt and what you thought. But it was really hard to look at myself and see who I am and what I am and why I am. So the fourth step, taking that inventory, was really, really scary. There's a page in our book that talks about if I remove those character defects, so I'd be like Swiss cheese and full of holes. What I discovered is that it's more like a painting in a museum where they clean off all that dirt and dust and discover what a valuable treasure they have. I found that a lot of my character defects were wonderful things, gone astray. But my controlling showed great love. But that I had to temper that love by realizing that other people had to write over their own lives. During the fifth step, God did a miracle. I rewound all of those parent tapes that played in my head, all those things that I'd heard said to me and about me all my life were rewound with and listened to with different ears. You see, I came in second. I was the auditorium of my class in eighth grade. But when I came home and said that, the response from home was, you know, if you hadn't blown that geography test, you would have been first. So what I heard was, you weren't good enough. When I rewound that tape in the light of the program, what I heard my parents saying was, we think you're the best. You're capable of being the best. It took all that resentment and that harshness away from those things that had happened in my life and freed me to start living again. When I looked at, at my part in things, the mistakes that I made along the way, 
not looking for excuses or somebody to blame or yeah but and started really looking at me I discovered somebody I could be really proud of I got some courage I got self-esteem I got a very angry family <laughs> you see self-esteem was something they were supposed to give me and I wasn't supposed to get it from somewhere else and if I was taking care of my needs then who were they going to blame for their needs but I had to work my own program during that time at some point and I don't even know when because I was really trying to work the program and find out who I was and what I wanted to do the alcoholics that lived in my house went back out but I was so busy working my own program that I wasn't sure when I just knew that things were getting nuts again so if I worked on taking care of what I could take care of my program my responsibilities that I'd be okay I had an old timer in the program see me after a meeting and say that they'd missed seeing Barbara and I said me too but he said you know he'll be back because he's got too much AA in his head to have alcohol in his gut and I want to thank you people for putting that in his head and I want to thank my higher power for making it stick because he did come back and we've had a chance to work on our marriage both in recovery but God doesn't promise that everything's going to be great because like I said my family resented my program they resented me taking time from me because I'd been self-sacrificing to the point of if there was any extra money in the house it was used for the kids of my husband and I always came last the joke in our house was it was dad then Robert then Aaron then Michael then the dog and if there was anything left it was me I didn't surprise myself on that putting my family first and being self-sacrificing I could wear it as a badge of honor but my program showed me that that was a character defect that we did need to take care of others but that the first person we're responsible for taking care of is ourselves I am the gift of God and I need to take care of me so that I'm capable of being there for others when I was wearing myself down taking care of everybody else nobody was getting healthy everybody was getting sick so for a while things got pretty rocky and the kids got pretty resentful and, and angry and uh, we went through some alcohol issues with our children as well but the program at Al-Anon has given me the opportunity to grow even through those things to be the person that I need to be to do the things that I need to do because that is my higher powers will in my life <laughs> so they continued working through those steps and making the list of people that I needed to take care of and make things up 
1992. It was pointed out very blatantly that uh, I was not on the list and that I had to be on the list and I had to make amends to myself for the mistakes that I'd made. I had to make amends to myself for the times I hadn't cared for myself. When I'd lived my life for other people. I thought that the measure of success was how thin I was, what a good hostess I was in my husband's career, um, how good my kids looked, how they had the best of everything. That's changed. I made myself sick doing those things. Now, through the help of this program, I'm becoming a healthier person and taking care of myself from the inside out. I've done what God willed for my life. I had a tough time with um, making my list of amends because I'm one of a very large family. And uh, as I hinted at, things were not so great. Let's put it this way. There were 11 of us in a three-bedroom apartment. My brothers and sisters haven't found the program, except my oldest brother. And so I immediately, when I found it, wanted to rush out and do my 12-step work and convert the whole family and make everybody better. Um, I got labeled nuts again. <laughs> I still wear that label with most of them, but I'm not embarrassed by it anymore. What I found is, is that my recovery came when I needed it, and their recovery will come when they get needed, and they're willing to accept it. Well, my older brother and I have gotten really close, uh, he's lived some tough experiences through his children, which led him into this program of al And so trying to make amends to people who still carry those resentments, who want you to carry resentments, and my program says I can't carry resentments and be healthy, is really tough. Uh, I have a sister who carries mine for me. <laughs> she will not let go of them and if it makes her happy I guess that's what I need to do because I'm not going to carry those resentments anymore they're not good for me resentments take me back they try to convince me that I am powerful and I'm back at step one again Resentments lead me to trying to fix somebody or change somebody or make something better. And if I'm open to the program, then I know right there I'm trying to control and not accept that I am powerless over other people, places, things, ideas, experiences, anything. So what I try to do with my 12-step work to just live the message. It came to me one day that if I just do what I need to do and if God has a plan in everyone else's life 
And if I'm doing what I need to do when I'm part of that plan, then God will see that it happens. And I let go. I let go and let God. Do I do it with expertise? No. I'm real good at grabbing that string and, and taking it back and taking control. But when I do it, miracles happen. For example, God has put me in places where someone needs to hear what I have to say. Uh, I'm a teacher. And so I've had kids in my class come and share experiences and say, what do I do? Because of the anonymity of this program, I can't always give real specific examples. But I can say to that child, you know, I want you to take a look at me. What are three things that you notice about me? And they'll name three things. And I'll say, when I was growing up, my life was very much like yours is now. And you have choices to make. You can let this family life destroy you. Or you can choose to work at your education and learn your way out. Those are opportunities that God gives me. I was working with a counselor and said something in a meeting and as we're walking out of that meeting she says do you know Bill? I said Bill? Trying to think of somebody in the building. She said yeah Bill W. I said yeah I'm familiar with Bill but I'm a better friend of Lois's. (laughs) The connection was made and we could form a network in the building now. We now have a Children's of Alcoholics meeting taking place in our building. For those kids whose parents can't get them to a meeting because they're not in the place where they're ready to deal with it, but the kids are in a place where they're ready to deal with it. I have a daughter who at one point in her life was doing things that were really dangerous and I received a phone call from Florida where she had run away to with her boyfriend. And she said, Mom, I need to come home and I need to come home now. And my program said, if I bail her out now, she'll go right back. But the heart of the mother said, you got to do something. So I dove deeper into my program, which gave her some choices of what she could do. My kids call that the C word. They hate hearing it. Choices. Well, here are your choices. You can wait until your plane ticket back is okay. You can tell what's happening in your life right now to the clerk and see if they can get you on an earlier flight. But no, I can't send you any money. And so she came home and she had learned from that experience. And this same daughter who had stormed out of my house calling me all sorts of awful names 
worse that I hadn't used since my own drinking days and said I can't wait until you're dead so I can spit in your face and stomp on your body is now a daughter who's married has my first grandchild and is upset that I'm now going to be moving three hours away from her that's the gift of this program because if I had bailed her out would she have had the opportunity to do what she needed to do I don't think so because I know from my own experience that if somebody's going to find me an easier softer way I'm going to count on them to find me an easier softer way the next time and that that's not when I grow I have a loving relationship with my husband through this program do we have a bed of roses no because that's not what the program offers us it does offer us a way of communicating with each other that's different than before it offers us an equality that we never had before in my home of origin I had little value in my home with my husband I had little value in my home of recovery I have infinite value I have changed I have allowed my higher power to create me the way he sees me flawed but working to improve we can get silly and laugh which was something that was allowed for about two minutes and then it would get on my mother's nerves and we'd have to stop and I'd hide in the closet because you never knew what was going to be thrown and laughing in my home with my husband in the drinking days was on his timeline and now if I find something funny and he doesn't it's okay because I'm a different human being than he is I'm an individual we are better for each other and with each other for the help of this program we're not in the same place at the same time but God doesn't expect us to be at the same place at the same time he just expects us to be working his program of recovery because I truly believe that this program is not an accident it was meant to be to help me sorry this is a selfish program God created this program for me God knew I was a religious person God knew that only when I fell on my knees could I become a spiritual person now when I pray even those words that I learned as a religious person they're different they're so different when I say the Lord's Prayer I feel it I experience it and that's the gift of this program from being at that circle at the end of a meeting whether there's two or six or at the camp out where we counted off the 700 that's what this program is about God put this program here so that 
I could experience it. And I'm glad there's other people experiencing it at the same time. But I have a sponsor and a grand sponsor that I can call and use. Not like I'm supposed to. Not all the time when I need to. But I know they're there. Sometimes even when I can't reach them. I now have their tapes that I can play in my head to get me through those rough spots. I am so blessed. I am a miracle. And I'm looking out across a room full of miracles. God gives you the opportunity on a daily basis to surrender your will and your life to His power. To choose how to act and how to react. For the alcoholic, that power to have that first strength that you do have control over with his help. For me, to bite my tongue till it bleeds if I need to. Not to say those things that I know are going to hurt. To make those choices, like leaving your daughter who's been beat up and abandoned in Florida and let her live her life in a way that she could take control. It's not perfect. Alcohol ran its head again just recently in our home. We're three for three with the kids. But you know what? There's a miracle in that. Because this program is here. If they need it, if they want it, it's here as long as we keep coming to the meetings. Because it'll die if we don't keep coming back and spreading the message. But my son could have been killed that night and all he got was a DUI. I didn't have to bury my son. It's a miracle. And it scared the crap out of him. And that's a miracle too. I don't know how long he's going to hold on to his miracle. So I have to keep coming back. I have to keep working my program. So that if he has to go deeper, I can still love him without going with him. My life is blessed with good friends in and out of the program. I am a different human being. I am a different teacher. I don't know what God has in store for me because the story he's writing is not the one I wrote. My son once said he was really angry when we were in recovery. Well, my husband was in treatment and I was going to meetings and he got really mad. I don't know why our family can't be perfect like the people across the street. Well, you know what? We always lived across the street from somebody and people thought we were perfect too. The strangest thing is, we went to an open meeting and guess who we saw? <laughs> Shut him up real fast. <laughs> because this program is how they became the perfect family. Flaws and all, working it one day at a time. The program of recovery as a family. I feel real sorry 
for the wives of alcoholics and the husbands of alcoholics who don't know Al-Anon, who think that just as I did, that if he just stops drinking, if I can just find the right answer, everything will be perfect. Everything will be better. Because you can't control alcohol. Alcohol is in control. Those people need this program so that they can benefit by becoming everything that they should be. I pray for that daily, that this program, which should be four or five times larger than AA because of the number of people touched by an alcoholic's life, that if we just do what we need to do every day, working our program, living God's plan, maybe those are the people that I'm going to meet at an open meeting someday. And they'll say, maybe that's how she got that. Maybe tradition of the program, just as it says every day, remembering that I can never do it perfectly, but if I turn it over to God every morning and thank Him every night, I will do the best job possible with the gifts and talents that He's given me. I hope that all of you stay active in the program because I really do believe that my kids and possibly my grandkids down the road need this program. Alcohol has taken a huge toll in our family. My husband's side of the family, my side of the family, it's not taking us. It's helping us become stronger. And I need this program here for the next generation. Thank you.